Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, I'm so glad and happy to be here today. Hope you are doing well. Doing well? Yeah? Hey, before I get started, just one quick announcement. Uh, So we are finishing out a series today called Return of the King. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, But next week, I want to invite you back uh, to, because we're starting a new series um, called On This Rock. So the perceptive among you will realize we're playing on the rock theme uh, a little bit with our sermon series. We had a last sermon series was Water from the Rock. It was on the Holy Spirit looking at the image of water emerging from the rock uh, with Moses. And that being an image to point forward to the Holy Spirit being given to a desert people in desert times, and we're longing for the Holy Spirit. But you know, we've been in this series talking about the second coming and the return of this King Jesus, but next week we want to actually start looking at some values that we want to be sure that are a part of this church. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you rem- may remember the story when Jesus asked his disciples, um, who do you say I am, disciples? And Peter says, you're Christ the Lord. And Jesus responds, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we want to make sure that we're, we've got the right values in place, because Jesus says he's going to build his church. And so as we're looking to establish and plant roots, this church in San Francisco, we want to make sure we've got the right cultures that Jesus can build upon. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. Tom's going to kick us off. Uh, so I want to invite you to that. Um, second announcement, I always like to give credit where credit is due on sermons. So I'm borrowing from a couple of sermons, one given by John Tyson and one given by Tyler Preeb. So just want to give them credit for some of this this work. And then thirdly, last time I was up here, I had to clarify that um, the return of the king, the series we're in, uh, was not in reference to the Sacramento Kings yeah. returning the king. Uh, they were, uh, uh, it's just their, their, last, their first time in 16 years making the playoffs, and we were down 2-1 to one in that series. And then I clarified, and we went on to win the series. So uh, <laughs> I've got to say, though, we're now down. We're in the same spot. We're down 2-1 to one to the Lakers. And so this is not about the return of King James. Yeah. LeBron James, so if we turn it around and win in game seven, I'm just saying, uh, you heard that's what's going on here, uh, but we're, this Return of the King series, three years ago, three weeks ago, not three years ago, uh, Glenn Power came and talked about what is this Return of the King, what is the doctrine of the second coming, and he talked about how important it was for the early church, and it's one of the first things that Paul talked about when he went into churches and how often it's spoken of in the New Testament. And then we've been spending the last several weeks, like in light of that event that's happening, what does that mean? What are the implications? And a couple weeks ago, I spoke about longing for that day. And then Joni did just an incredible job last week talking about the warnings of that day, some hard scriptures. And we've been looking at Matthew 24, and this is Jesus' last public 
address, his last public teaching. He teaches on these things. Um, and uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I submitted to you that what we think about the future determines almost everything about how we live in the present. And so this is really, really important. And I would actually submit to you the converse is also true. You can tell a lot about people, about what they think about the future based on how they're living today. You show me how someone is living today, and I'll tell you how, what they believe about the future. I actually have a few um, sources I want to, uh, headlines I want to prove my point here in my research. I found a few headlines here. This is, uh, if climate apocalypse is imminent, should we even bother paying our debts? What we believe about the future impacts how we live in the present. Next, you don't want kids? Why don't you want kids? Because apocalypse. This is from Wired Magazine. Salon, some millennials aren't saving for retirement because they don't think capitalist, capitalism will exist by then. <laughs> this one's a fascinating article. It's from the New Yorker. Doomsday prep for the super rich, some of the wealthiest people in America. So from Silicon Valley right here to New York there. I mean, if you read it, it's crazy. They're they're the billionaires that are selling us all this tech of progress and everything are like buying land in New Zealand and building bunkers to prepare for the end of the world. And then, of course, everyone's cashing in uh, as well, our entertainment industry. Uh, this is an article from Forbes, Why Millennials Are Obsessed with the Apocalypse. And it's talking about how many of our TV shows and movies are about the end of the world, and then uh, there's actually a business case cashing in as well. Um, how preppers are helping grow a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, so what we believe about the future impacts <laughs> how we live in the present. Uh, there's a book by N.T. Wright called uh, Surprised by Hope, and uh, I'm going to grossly kind of summarize it. Uh, it's good book. You should actually read it. He doesn't actually use these words, but he, he says, in basic, if, if I was to summarize what he was saying, is there's basically two narratives that people in the world live into today, two stories that people are buying into, and it's the story of progress and the story of escape. So let me dive into these really briefly. The story of progress you can imagine what that means. It means everything's going to go up and to the right, that tomorrow is going to be better than today. The lives our kids live are going to be better than the lives that we had. I mean, this works itself out in politics and getting our candidate to office and you know, advocating for a policy that's going to make tomorrow better. It's activism. It manifests in technology and the dream that self-driving cars and AI is going to solve all of our problems and I'm going to be pick up, maybe I'll pick my phone and get my favorite coffee drone delivered to me in like two minutes. It's, um, and maybe you don't look outside, but maybe you look inside and you say, actually, I don't know about the prospects of the world, but my prospects are pretty bright. I think that I'm going to be able to improve myself and self-actualize and become the best person that I could possibly be. But the problem with this approach is that we know like, it's really just hanging on by a thread. If you think about it, the, year, the 20th century, the year that we had the most progress and the most technological innovation, the Industrial Revolution, there was so much promise. And yet, what did it lead to? Two world wars, the Holocaust, concentration camps, Chernobyl, Vietnam. I mean, even in 2007, if we go back, you know, the advent of the phone, the iPhone, 
we were promised a world with the app store and everything at our fingertips and social media, and we're going to be super, super connected. And what do we have today? We're more depressed and lonely than we've ever been. There's objectification of women and men alike, cyberbullying, identity theft, misinformation, etc., right? And even at a scientific level, the second law of thermodynamics, right, the law of entropy, it's like we're heading towards a more and more and more disordered world. And so there isn't this sense of inevitable progress. At best, it's this fuzzy, vague hope that somehow, some way, something's going to end up right in the end. And so we turn to the other narrative that leads us to the narrative of escape. And this is maybe the postmodernism to the 20th century, century's modernism. This is, has its roots in Socrates and Plato and Walden's Thoreau, or Thoreau's Walden, rather, <laughs> going out into the woods and just actually seeking answers inside ourselves. This is um, what Paul, Paul critiques this narrative, but in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, there's a narrative out there, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This is that idea. It's um, hashtag van life, yeah? <laughs> Getting a sprinter van and taking off, re- remodeling it through the, <laughs> yeah, let's go. I know, I'm kind of tempted by that. Uh, but it's this idea that we can, you know, just take off and go on unlimited adventures and be untethered from any sense of community or, or, or you know, larger purpose. It's Instagram vacations to exotic, far-off places, or maybe it's just vegging out on Netflix and giving yourself over to fantasies of other worlds away. Um, the problem is, we're meaning-seeking beings. <laughs> we want to live for more. We're not just, we don't feel like we're just a, a collection of cells that accidentally happened in the universe and it's going to end in chaos. The storyline and the storyline of pleasure that we're seeking after, it just ends up feeling hollow and leaving us with this feeling of just grasping. And so I want to submit to us, are these, <laughs> are these the only two stories on offer for us today that we can live into this story of you know, naive progress, this story of fan, uh, fatalistic escape. And surprise, surprise, <laughs> I don't think those are our only two options. Uh, Leslie Newbigin uh, was famously asked, are you an optimist or pessimist when you look to the future? And he, are you Escape or a progress guy? Which one are you? And he said, I am neither an optimist or a pessimist. He said, Christ is risen from the dead. Ha <laughs> 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 Yeah? <laughs> Ooh, whoa. Um, so, I think today, Jesus offers us a third way. And that third way is what I'm calling faithful presence. Instead of native or naive progress or fatalistic escape, idea of faithful presence. This is actually a, a, a term coined by James Davidson Hunter in a book a few years ago. Um, but if I was titling my talk, uh, it would be this, The Faithful Presence of Entrusted Stewards. That's what we have on offer today as we're looking forward to it. Well, how do we live in the present in a way that looks forward to the future that we know is coming? Faithful Presence of Entrusted Stewards. And so we're going to look at a passage today. I'm actually going to ask Lydia to come up and read it. Uh, you, can, you can come along. Um, it's uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's a parable. 
Um, in the NIV, the parable of the bags of gold. In the ESV, the parable of the talents. You may be more familiar with that terminology. And if you could read it in the microphone, that way we get it on the recording. That'd be great. So listen up, because we're going to break into groups after this, as we normally do. Ask a few questions. What is God saying to you through this? What is it? What do you learn about God? What do you learn about humans through this? So Lydia, if you take it away. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you not what you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. Always a good Sunday when our teaching text ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia. That's awesome. So you're going you're gonna to figure all that out for me uh, in our groups. Uh, so we're break into small groups of three, four, five. You can be a little uh, a liberal in your interpretation of your group. But uh, we're going to ask two questions. What does this passage tell us about God? What does this passage tell us about people? So go ahead and answer those questions, and I'll call us back in just a few minutes, and we'll do some uh, sharing and response. Does that sound good? All right. Break into groups. All right, we'll just take a one more minute. Let's do this quickly. Yep. All right, let's start gathering back together. You can close up your conversation. All right, all right. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm overhearing bits and I'm of conversation, and I'm really curious, really interested. We'll start. If we could gather back. We'll start over here, and uh, I'd just love to hear if anything came out of your group that you'd love to share, any good points or good points of wisdom. <laughs> Everyone's being pointed to. 
<laughs> Just one nugget. It doesn't have to be the whole conversation. Yeah. There's nothing in the parable other than that one line that would suggest that this master is a hard man. Yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which kind of goes along with what Scott was saying, that, you know, even if you're not the one uh, that makes the, or has a deposit, like, God doesn't make a withdrawal where he doesn't deposit. We're somewhere, yeah? So his, his perception about God is either off or he's being a little disingenuous in his, uh, in his excuse. Yeah, fascinating. It's great. Yeah, I was struck by the song choice. I think you pulled that out. I'm no longer a, a slave to fear. And how many, <laughs> how many of us might bury what God has been given because we're afraid? We have a faulty view of God that, He's a hard taskmaster. But when, yeah, when you know that he's just freely given, he's like, he's, he, he doesn't mind. He just freely gives us. And he wants us to share in his happiness. Yeah. That it actually frees us to take risks. Great. Yeah, that's so good. Actually, just to echo on that, when we were like praying to God about coming out to San Francisco, it was a big risk. And actually, just to honor this man over here, uh, Scott, Kelsey's dad, uh, we were praying through it. And he said, someone told me once, I don't know if you remember this, he said, don't be afraid to make an honest mistake. When you're seeking God, don't be afraid to make an honest mistake. And it's like, we don't have to get it perfect. It was just like, yeah, I think, I think God is saying this. Let's take a risk and see what happens. And so thank you for that. That's a really, really good point. Parables should be taken in context of the whole teaching. It pr- gives us an aspect, but maybe not the whole picture. And we have to be careful of drawing two final points on the parables. Just to respond to the, ta- the, the, the second um, I had that same question myself, and I read D.A. Carson's commentary. He says that in the, you know, if you actually, if you read the ESV, it's talent. You can't break, it was like a bar of gold. You couldn't break it in half. So he couldn't break it in half. And he he says we shouldn't read too much into the first guy getting everything and the second guy not getting more. And both of them get to enter into the happiness of the master. So anyway, just another perspective on that. But I think you make a great point. And then the, the final thing is about the, we talked about like, going to hell if you don't use the gifts. Um, you know, the first gift that we're given is the gift of faith. And we are responsible on how we respond to the gift of the gospel. And that's one way to, to read this, and some commentators do. I think it's, it's got broad application, but that is one thing of like, actually the first gift is this free gi- the free gift that we have. What are we gonna, how are we going to respond to this message of the gospel? So uh, this is fantastic. Uh, appreciate the response and the contribution. Um, I think I can probably skip a lot because we covered a lot. This is amazing. But, um, <laughs> but basically, you know, we got a story here of an angel investor like handing out seed rounds to, uh, you know, a bunch of people. Yeah, he's just like this generous uh, investor. He's going to go away on a trip and he picks three people. We'll call him, uh, we'll call them uh, Freddy Five Bags, Tommy Two Bags, and Ollie One Bag. Yeah? So I guess a Freddie, Tommy, and Ollie, based on their abilities, he says. And, and in the ESV, it, it calls talent. It's not a uh, bag of gold. And what is a talent? Well, a talent, a lot of, most people believe, is equivalent to 20 years worth of wages. 20 years worth of wages. So I did, what was that? <laughs> well, it's, I, I, uh, I did some research in uh, San Francisco about the medium household income here. It's $5 million. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) $125,000, which is still 
$125,000 is the median household income for San Francisco. So applying a little contextualization, 20 years wages, if you can do some math, that's about $2.5 million per talent or bag of gold. So that's like a, a two-bedroom apartment here, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't, go, don't go too crazy, though. You're going to furnish it with Ikea because you're not going to have that much money left over. Um, but if the five talent people, that's like $12.5 million. You're going to Restoration Hardware to furnish that <laughs> two-bedroom apartment there. Um, but this is, this is not just an insignificant amount of money. This is, this is a big amount of money, right? And so Freddie, he gets five bags, and uh, he goes immediately. He says at once. He got to work at once. He started trading. He invested in some crypto. That didn't do so well, so he invested in some AI startups, right? And he turns that five into ten. And Tommy gets two bags. Tommy goes to South City, invests in some uh, biotech startups. You know, he turns that two into four. And Ollie, one bag Ollie, he doesn't do anything. He just buries it, puts that bag in the ground. What's that? <laughs> Doomsday <laughs> Crepper. <laughs> and then the investor comes back and rewards everyone with an amount commiserate with their returns, as we've talked about. So just a couple of main headline points before we dive into some application. First, a theme around scripture that we see pointed, you know, in flashing lights here is that we are entrusted stewards. That we're entrusted stewards. And of course God is sovereign, he's in control. But what does he do with his sovereignty? He gives it to us. He lets us have a surprising amount of control over what he's given. And the, the scripture teaches everything we have is gifts from you. We said that in our liturgy, right? All that we have is gifts from God. Everything we have is ultimately his, not ours. And, but he's so generous. He gives out millions of dollars in these gifts. You know, he's just, he, and then he's, that actually in the sermon, or in the parable, right, he shares in the prophets. He said he, he doles out sweat equity in the deal. Yeah, and he says, enjoy, you know, my, my prophets, enjoy my happiness. And uh, even if you're the first guy, he gets more, and it says you'll have an abundance. Um, so, so we get this God, the idea of a very, very generous God. And you think about Jesus and what he does with his disciples, right? His disciples were not the cream of the crop. We know this. They weren't, you know, grade A, top-level students at the rabbi school studying under the best. They were tax collectors, political zealots, um, fishermen, ordinary people. And they were doubters. They were deniers. You know, they fought. They jockeyed for who was going to be best, who was going to be first in the kingdom. And these were the people that God entrusted with the planting of his church. And because he did, he was happy to do it. And we're here today, 2,000 years later. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 20, he says, all this is from God who is reconciled to himself through Christ and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's crazy. I know me. I think that's a bad idea. God, <laughs> do you have a plan B here? But he entrusts it to us. He does. I don't know why he does, but he does. It's amazing. The responsibilities and opportunities that we have are nothing short of astounding. Paul Marshall says this, we have to make real decisions about how we can put flesh on what God has shown us 
to be the path of peace, hope, stewardship, and justice. God gives us real responsibility. Adam named the animals, and God accepted the names that Adam gave. Abraham argued with God about justice for Sodom and Gomorrah and appears to have won the argument. Our responsibility is both frightening and challenging. We cannot shrink back from it. Is it possible, church, that God trusts us more than even we might trust him? (laughs) That's crazy. But the second theme, I think you've picked up on it really well in our response time, is we're going to be held to account for what we did or didn't do with those resources. We can choose whether to invest or we can choose whether to bury. And there's actually stunning rewards. We've gotten into that, but actually a really startling rebuke based on which path you choose to go. Um, There's a theme in scripture that Jesus is after, I think to your point, Billy, fruitfulness. A few chapters earlier in Matthew 21, he's talking to the Pharisees. Verse 43 says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's telling the Pharisees, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. In John 15, verses one through two, he says, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll be even more fruitful. Now, to be clear, the way to bear fruit, he says in verse five, is just to remain in him. Remain in him and I'll, I'll give you fruit. In Matthew 21 with the Pharisees, like the Pharisees were putting a whole lot of hard things. They were viewing God as a hard taskmaster and putting a whole lot of pressure on his people. So, uh, you know, we don't want to be uh, too, you know, difficult with this, to put too pr- much pressure on ourselves with bearing fruitfulness. But it's interesting, one bag Ollie over here, you know, what does he do? He doesn't he just says, as, as you were saying, he was a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown. But as we talked about, that's not true, is it? Like God isn't just a hard man, is he? It says in Ephesians 1, he lavishes grace on us. He lavishes. I like that word, lavishes. It's a good word. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is the God we serve. And so I actually think my interpretation of the parable um, is, is not that he had just had a false view of God. He, I think the parable reads that he was actually just lazy. He was looking for an excuse. He did nothing. And he's like just trying to put the blame back on the master. A little disingenuous there. But we've all been trusted in gifts. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to steward it? Are we going to invest it? Are we going to bury them in the ground? J. Oswald Sanders has a, a challenging quote. He says, suppose we allot ourselves a generous eight hours a day for sleep, three hours for meals and conversation, 10 hours for work and travel. Still, we have 35 hours each week to fill. What happens to them? How are they invested? a person's entire contribution to the kingdom of God may turn on how those hours are used. Certainly those hours determine whether life is commonplace or extraordinary. 
Sanctuary Church, how will we use the hours that have been given to us? How will we use the days? I wanted to suggest this morning, uh, in our remaining time left, there's four primary areas that I think God is giving, wanting us to steward. And there's more than that, but I just picked four. Four bags of gold that we all have this morning. And I just want to encourage us to use our days well, to give it everything we can to invest what has been given us. So, four bags to steward. The first one is this, stewarding our gifts. Stewarding our gifts. It's your prophetic word this morning. God's given us gifts, right? First Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. How? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. How amazing is that? It says God's given us a bunch of different gifts, and when we are gathered together, uh, that there's like this 3D picture of God's myriad of grace that comes forward. Do I have a, 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 a typo on the slide? <laughs> so it's <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but, it, but this is an amazing picture, right? It's like, who is here for Easter Sunday? When Jackie had that amazing spread uh, of food on the table. Yeah, it was like we were all blessed from Jackie's gift. It's not just the guy up here speaking. It's not just the, like the worship. Like if, if you're at the door and you're greeted with a warm hug, I mean, isn't it amazing? And Ryan coming up here and giving a prophetic word. Like the picture of the church is so dynamic. It's so fun. And there's people that have the gift of hospitality that are going to say, hey, why don't you come out to my house for lunch afterwards? And there's people I saw even today, like someone went over to someone in the back of the room and kind of hugged them and gave them an encouragement and they just kind of pepped up immediately. I mean, all of this happens when we're together in church. And this idea that we're, we've got these gifts that God has given us and each of us get to use them to bless each other. And what would it be like, church, if we like walked in these doors, walked up these stairs and be like, all right, who's going to get blessed today with my <laughs> gift? Yeah, like it's not just my gift, but the gift that God's given me, like everyone playing their part. It's not just about, you know, people up here. First uh, Timothy 4.14 says, do not neglect the gift you have. Don't neglect it. What would happen if I neglected my kids? They would take them away. It's a serious thing. Don't neglect it, church. You have a gift to bring. You have something to contribute, every one of you. And we are going to be seeing God's varied grace when you bring it forward. It's just incredible. I remember in Nashville, we were gathering as a small little house church, and uh, there were two individuals. One, her name was Nancy. She was in her late 50s or early 60s. She had a hard life. She was... um, a, a victim of prostitution and sex abuse and was just barely clean off of drugs. Her name was Nancy. And then um, sitting next to her on the couch was a guy named Tavo. And he was in his mid to late 20s. He was a graduate of Berkeley School of Music. He was super, super smart, but super, super cynical and wasn't a believer and wanted to be believe in God, but just couldn't cross that line of faith. And I remember this beautiful moment Nancy, barely holding on to a clean life, you know, very different life experiences than Tavo. He reached over and just, she prayed for Tavo, this beautiful prayer of faith for Tavo. 
And there's a lot of things that happen in his life. Praise Jesus. Devo is now leading worship at a church in uh, Arkansas, which is amazing. But I just thought that picture, I will never forget that picture of God's varied grace and Nancy with her gift of encouragement, praying faith into Tavo. That's what church gets to be, is like we each get to play our role. Secondly, I want to encourage us to steward our stories. Each of us have been given unique stories, unique circumstances. And I want to say this, your, your story is holy. It is. Our first sanctuary retreat ever, we went up to Fort Bragg or Mendocino, and all we did all weekend was hear people's stories, how God has met them in the highs and the lows and the promises over their life, and we got to surround them and cover them in prayer, and I just want to honor Tom and Josie for, like, instilling that vision from the very beginning of, like, your story matters. God is doing something in you, and I remember Billy opening us up in that retreat and reading from 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And this idea that our, we're, we're clay vessels. We're broken and we're cracked and we've, you know, we're imperfect. But it's not about the vessel. It's about what is in the vessel. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us. And there's things that God is doing in you that are an encouragement to me. I was having lunch with Ryan uh, a couple weeks ago and just to hear some of his twists and turns and lows and highs and how God has been faithful to him and he has stayed faithful. He's an encouragement to me. When I hear about Mike and Sarah and Jordan and Becca, you know, hearing the call of God in their lives to come be a part of Sanctuary Church in San Francisco and it took five plus years to actually get here and they kept going and going. It's an encouragement to me to persevere, to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think several of us I can look around have like real big wounds that we're dealing with and that we've been healed from. And it's, you know, how many of you know it's such a gift when you're dealing with something to have someone come beside you, look you in the eye and says, me too. I've been there. I've been there. And let me tell you what God, how God has met me in that moment and how he can bring me out. We need to steward our stories. Every uh, month, the second Tuesday of the month, we're in this room in the evening, and we're hearing someone share their story, and we're praying and blessing over them. I just want to encourage you on those nights, come out. It's so good to hear that story, to pray over, see how God has met them. It, it builds us up, stewarding our stories. Thirdly, stewarding our privilege. That's a loaded word. <laughs> stewarding our power, stewarding, stewarding our resources, our positions, however you want to say it. But the fact is, we're in San Francisco, San Francisco, just to make it here. <laughs> We've got some degree of influence, some degree of, of resources. Um, how do we steward what we have for the benefit of others? Uh, in the next parable that Jesus speaks, again talking about the very next one, again talking about preparing for his second coming, in verse 25, or chap chapter 25, verse 34, 36, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So there's a reward again. But who did that reward go to? It says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. One of the phrases that 
have been instilled in Sanctuary Church from the beginning is we want to be a people that are unfazed in front of the powerful, but unhurried in front of the poor. Yeah? And then San Francisco is a place where those two worlds collide unlike anywhere else, right? I was in a cafe yesterday and I noticed a CEO of a tech startup walked in that I was, I, I really like this tech startup, and I immediately noticed, I, I started acting differently. Oh, should I like say something to him? Should I like, you know, but that's me. Like, I, why I'm cowering to power, but that person I know has their own insecurities, their own stories, their own gifts. They're just like everyone else. I, I don't need to put them on a pedestal. I need to love them. And at the same time, I don't need to walk by the poor, walk by the powerless. Yeah. And I, I love that. Um, I love that that is built into the fabric of, san- of Sanctuary Church. Jesus says, if you're faithful with a little, I'll give you more. And I just want to make sure we keep that front and center, that we're stewarding the resources that we have. We're stewarding our position, our power, our influence on the behalf of those who don't have as much. Yeah. And then finally, stewarding our imagination. Stewarding our imagination. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. Think about that for a second. You have the mind of Christ. That's crazy. I think one of the gifts that we have to offer the world as Christians is actually to see the world a little differently, to dream a little bit differently, to have a different perspective on the world. Yvonne uh, Illich says this, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale, one so pervasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and present into a coherent whole, even one that shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. And he says this, if you want to change a society, you have to tell an alternative story. Yeah. I think about Ken and Kelly McCord. Some of you know them. They moved into uh, Visitation Valley and they saw Leland Avenue and there was no real gathering point, no real thing. And most people wouldn't want to move to that neighborhood, right? Or most people wouldn't want to see that, you know, invest in that neighborhood at least. And they said, no, we're going to invest in a coffee shop, Mission Blue Coffee Shop. And I encourage you to go there. It is like going to church. It's amazing. You go in there and there's a love of Jesus all in that place. And they've gathered all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds together, and they saw that street differently. They saw that street differently. They, what would happen if the kingdom of God breaks in and we're, peop- we're to have people that have different imaginations? Another quote, dreams by definition are supposed to be unique and imaginative, yet the bulk of our population is dreaming the same dream. It's a dream of wealth, power, fame, plenty of sex, and exciting recreational activities. When a whole population dreams the same dream, empire is triumphant. An alternative to the empire requires different dreams, animated by a different narrative. May we be a church that's animated by a different dream, that has a different vision of what's possible. What do you see when you see San Francisco? What do you see when you see your home? What do you see when you see San Francisco, or Sanctuary Church. Can we imagine what God might want to do with a church full of people whose hearts are postured towards him and have a different horizon of possibility on their, in their eyes? Um, 
Yeah, I'll, uh, I think I'll land the plane here. I just want to, um, just want to remind us a couple of things, and then Tom, you can come up. Um, the first of all, I was just reminded about Jesus in Philippians 2. It says, he actually took on the very nature of a servant. He made himself nothing. He hung himself on a cross. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as we think about this parable, the parable of the entrusted servants, how ridiculous it is that the master himself became the servant and was so faithful with what God had given him to do. So faithful. He took on our conditions and he was so faithful. He he threw it all away. He had heaven with him. He threw it all away and he died for our sins so that we might have his inheritance. And it says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. God exalted him to that place. And you see that play in the parable. He was faithful with what God gave him, and, and God exalted the Son, that every knee shall bow. I think that's important to keep in mind, church, as we talk about we're not serving a God that just demands things from us. We're serving a God that took on our condition and is pleased to give us the whole world, to give us his position in Christ. That's who we serve. And the second thing I want to remind us with, I want to I ask us to consider, what would it be like, church, what might happen if everyone used their gifts, if everyone stewarded their stories, if everyone used their resources, their power, their positions, if everyone dreamed a different dream. I think God would say, hey, you're small now, but I can trust you. When you were small, you built a culture of prayer. I can trust you. I can give you more. When you were small, you loved people well, one person at a time. When you were small, you invited people to Alpha, and you saw miraculous things happen. I can trust this group. What kind of church do you see? What kind of church do you see? How will we use our days? Church, will we invest them or will we bury them? Final quote, and then uh, Tommy can come up actually as I'm reading this, and then we'll just respond quickly. But N.T. Wright says this What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's going to go down in a fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new creation, new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read, to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That's how we prepare for his return, church. That's how we prepare for his return. A couple of questions for us just as we close our time. 
Have you buried your gold? Or has your gold become buried? And I have good news. If you've buried your gold, you can dig it up. (laughs) You can start today. If you still have breath in your lungs, it's not too late. (laughs) It's not too late. What does God want to do through us? Where has God given us gifts that he's calling us to dig back up again and pour out? He's been so faithful to us, church. He's given us so much, and the rewards are stunning. Let's not miss out. Let's not miss out, church. Uh, let, us pray, let me pray, and then we can reflect on these questions as Tom leads us in a, in a time of response. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that it was your pleasure to give us the kingdom. It was your pleasure to entrust us with so much, and you're such a generous God. You lavish on us. We just pray, Father, in these short days that we have, would you help us, Jesus?